Hello everybody, and welcome to the FM Technical Area, the podcast brought to you by me, your host, Gaffer Graymo, once again. Every time I jinx myself, I say I'm going to be talking to you again really soon. And the last time I speak to you, I bring Manchester two episodes in a week, and then pick up some virus that's left me flat for the last three. So apologies for the long delay. Um, but it's glad I'm great to be back. Glad to be back. Um, yeah, first day today, starting to feel a bit more like myself after three weeks. So it's uh, really, really good. Really enjoyed to be back. In that time, there was a lot of FM played in bursts, depending on the energy and all sorts of things. So in terms of save updates, I haven't got an awful lot for you. I've a month into season two with Arundel. Obviously, we're promoted in the Obus League, and uh, I'm actually doing quite well. It was actually a really, really good month. Undefeated in our first month after getting promoted, which was really good, and a few uh, standout results as well, which has made things an awful lot easier for me to to you know build on and give me a bit of confidence going into the next session when I start up and see on month two, which I hope to do this afternoon. Fingers crossed, all going well. I suppose the bigger news for me isn't to do with my save, and it's probably not even to do with this podcast, but it's to do with the t-shirt campaign. Um, so, look, I've said this, I've said in the video, I don't know if you've seen it on the socials or not, but back in 2020, during the, the pandemic, Jim G launched a t-shirt campaign to raise money for Cam campaign against Living Miserably. That was FM players and roles and duties inspired. Just after, obviously, look in the last year or so, um, there's not lots happened in the world. We've had the, of course, the, the the Russian invasion and the war in Ukraine, and then there was the, I suppose, the the tipping point for me, which was the earthquake which took place in Turkey and Syria there just a little over a month ago now at this rate. And I suppose the, the moment that really got me, like obviously, look, a lot of devastation has happened. Obviously, like, the news of even, like, that professional footballers losing their lives. But I suppose the kind of the image that stood out to me and kind of, you know, tri- triggered something in me was the image of the man sitting holding the hand of his daughter in the rubble. He's freed from the rubble, and unfortunately, his, his daughter, whose hand he's holding, is dead under the rubble. And it was quite a strong image. The pictures just, I don't know, it just hit me in a certain way that when it felt like, I, I want to do something here, I want to do something. Um, obviously, look, I could make a donation, and I have. But obviously, look, there's a little bit more I felt I needed to do, and... You know, I spoke to Jim, and Jim very kindly not only you know gave me his blessing to launch a campaign based off the same inspiration, but Jim actually, you know, he doesn't create FM content anymore. He's kind of moved away from the FM community circles, and he actually offered to design the logos for me, the logos that you see on those T-shirts. Jim himself came out and offered offered to design them, so. I'm very thankful to Jim for doing that. I really am, and I've sounded that appreciation in the in the many messages we've exchanged. So all the money that's raised on those T-shirts will be sent off to, to charities like the Red Cross and UNICEF, who are you know supporting people in 
you know, Ukraine supporting people in Turkey and in Syria kind of going through the, like this just awful kind of period of, in their lives and that's truly devastating. And if you can support it, I'd really appreciate it. If you can't, absolutely no problem at all. With regards to the t-shirts, I know some people might be feeling they're a little pricey or whatever, but um, I try to keep them as absolutely cheap as possible. Keep the price consistent on all um, the different ones you see. Um, and kept the margins as small as possible. So look, there's actually not an awful lot of money being made off each t-shirt's sale. But every penny that comes from them, once the cost of the actual t-shirt and the print in itself are done, that will then, all that money, as soon as, I, as it comes through to me at the end of the campaign, it will be put through as a donation on behalf of the FM community. So if you can make uh, a purchase, I, I really encourage you. Um, and if you can't, look, no hard feelings at all. It's your decision, whichever work works for you, you know. I know exactly that the rest of the world isn't exactly in a great place and charity does begin at home. So maybe like that we could look at another campaign, another rerun of those t-shirts where money gets raised for, you know, another campaign um, where like that we can look a little closer to home in terms of the charity that, w that we do. But anyway, look, getting to the FM talk, what are we, what are we talking about this week? Well, I suppose it's something that, you know, it's popped up a lot in conversation. Uh, and then it was only when I saw a, a TIFO video not too recently, which I've linked down below, on the box midfield that it really, you know, got me thinking. And I suppose put put a label on something that in some ways I created in my own safe. And in other ways, you know, I hadn't, but something that could be very, very useful to me going forward. It's like be, being a minnow. And for FM players, I think this could be something that we could certainly all look at and see as a basis of what, what we do going forward, the box midfield. Now, this is going to be the first kind of a, of a series of kind of knock-on effect episodes, kind of domino effect. So if I take a look at, at the episodes here, the ideas that I have written down, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about possession and formations and, you know, occupying space and... You know, controlling the game, controlling the pitch, not just controlling the ball. So this is going to be like the first. It's kind of started a bit of a wave, you know, of, of crossovers that are going to knock on one into the other into the other. So strap your seatbelts on. If you want to get a pen and notebook out ready, whatever it is that works for you. And let's get started talking about something that's going to be really useful to you and your save. And that is the box midfield. Now, I suppose in terms of the box midfield, my first introduction in an FM sense came when I was managing against Brazil back in kind of the uh, 2006, maybe kind of time, FM05, FM06. And I was managing against Brazil, and Brazil set up with this very narrow 4 2 2 2 formation. And I suppose the box midfield for me, that's where the start point has, has to be. Now, for Brazilians themselves, the idea of a box midfield came and it was inspired by the, well, but the, the Hungarians. And who's was read inverted, the pyramid will know the influence that like coffeehouse football of Austria and Hungary, how that kind of influenced football in South America, in Brazil and Argentina. 
the likes of characters like Bella Gutman being very kind of you know you know inspirational in terms in terms of what happened amongst other people and the Brazilian box I suppose really you know one of the standout examples was the 1982 Brazilian team where in that four two 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 formation you had a double pivot of you know what could be said you know real plainly as two deep line playmakers you two narrow trequartistas behind the two strikers that's your box four midfield with flying wing backs attacking down either flank you know given the whole license just to play that whole wing to themselves that was kind of the basis of what we saw with brazil as and the beginnings i suppose of a box midfield where from a European perspective, we've kind of been caught up with occupying the space of the wings and so on and so forth, even distribution of players. That's why 442 became so popular. But it's what we saw kind of here with the Brazilians was a different interpretation of this. And I suppose with, as any era in football shows, football tactics have to evolve. And even if you look at the Premier League over the last 10 years, you look at any European league, over the last 10 years, look at international football over the last 10 years, we've seen an evolution of football. We've seen the era of tiki-taka become the era of gagan pressing. And now we're into this new era again, stepping forward. You know, and I suppose some people may talk about the, the juego, the position, that kind of idea of the game of positions, playing the game in terms of the pitch, in terms of positions and roles, and, you know, the Brazilian box you know, ties in kind of nicely with this. You look at the era of Vanderly Luxemburgo when he was the manager of Brazil. Roberto Carlos was a left wing back. There was two holding midfielders and two playmakers behind two strikers. So you're talking 18 years or so after that 1982 World Cup, Brazil are still kind of playing this type of football. They still have these flying wing backs, Roberto Carlos and Cafu. You've got two holding midfielders. You've got two playmakers. It's something we saw Brazil even use at the 2002 World Cup, which they won. This kind of box style. And even in, in towards 2009, in the Confederations Cup, what many, you know, on paper interpreted as a 4-2-3-1 could really have been a 4-2-2-2 again, evolving the shape with a European interpretation of formations. So Robinho, although he kind of may have looked as a, a left-sided inside forward, which is what he was, in a Brazilian sense, he was counted as a striker, not as a midfielder. So really, that's where you know that three-one becomes a two-two at the top of the formation. Like the second striker who pulled left, and the reason he pulled left was because of the presence of a ten, an advanced playmaker of Kaká behind a striker so for Robinho to be an inverted winger for Robinho to be an inside forward from this left side he was actually seen as a second striker just starting a little bit further out and drifting in attacking kind of on a diagonal line and of course then if that's happening you then open space for a left wing back and at this time we saw against Brazil move to the era of Marcello as that left wing back so again, this kind of same style and same pattern of play moves through. We're just seeing it taking up a different identity because of the players that are there. So that 2009 Brazil team, how did it set up? Well, you'd Kaka at the top as a 10. 
on the right hand side then you had Ramirez kind of as a some might say as a wide playmaker on the right side of midfield and then the double pivot was Felipe Melo and Gilberto Silva now here's the thing while some may see Ramirez as a wide playmaker others interpreted his role in a different way so Gilberto was the base it's for he was the first function of this team of this midfield of this box because his function was the first function which is being the most defensive player then you've got a kind of a transitionary player which is Felipe Melo so may see a Carolero there but really what you have here is a player who performs both defensive and attacking functions but is neither the most defensive nor most attacking player in the shape Ramirez is the third function the most attacking of kind of this you know of the box when you, you take Kaká out of it. He's like the Tornante, the Returner, a Carolero, a wide playmaker. There's so many ways to interpret what Ramirez done on this kind of right side of the box, this right side of midfield. But his, he was the most attacking of the three, yet as we all know from our experiences of watching Ramirez, whether it was in Europe with Porto, or, or sorry, with Benfica, or whether it was with Chelsea in the Premier League, or with Brazil as a national team. We know he was kind of in some ways, you know, a transitionary step kind of towards where Angolo Kante became a more deeper, but that idea of a full energetic midfielder, a most attacking kind of style, although he kind of came from unorthodox positions. Some may even say he was a defensive winger because of the pressure he put on the opposition higher up the pitch. But still, nonetheless, there was this interpretation of Ramirez in many ways. And I suppose when we think of it in the football manager sense, we're setting up our box midfield. That Ramirez role, we understand that needs to be the most attacking. But how we label it, I suppose, is what works for us, identifies best with the player we have in mind to play the position, and the rest of the setup of the team. But what we got from this Brazilian box is the Segunda Volante role. Now, a Volante is named after a Brazilian player who was a tough, tackling, nail-biting, ball-winning midfielder. But what the Segunda Volante was, was a creative partner. And this is what you have in Felipe Melo in that 2009 Brazil team. Short passes to and from defensive midfielders and the wing-back. Long passes to the four players in front. So you've got the striker, the second striker. You've got Kaká. And then you've got Ramirez. So you've kind of got long pass options here. He'd make dangerous attacking runs from deep. In, the, in a way, you could almost say he was a, he's a deep-lying 10. Not just a deep-lying playmate, but a deep-lying 10 in some ways. And to release a Segundo Valente, I suppose, in the best way, there is that. Uh, Gilberto Silva type player beside him a defence midfielder, ball win midfielder an anchor, or someone who will just sit and be an enforcer again beside the volante but be a little bit more disciplined in terms of like that as it says with Gilberto he's the base, he's the first function he's most defensive of these players and of course there's a complete wing back on either side who can add you know, an extra suppose, body to a, a box if you want to look at the box as being a right and center or a left and center but 
when we talk about the box midfield, it tends to be more of a central makeup of midfield. Now, of course, with Brazil, again, like I are saying, we have seen an evolution in the box. And I suppose in the last decade, what we saw with Brazil was Dungas, which was a box based on defence and strength. Again, you two wing backs who control the wings, but in front of them, you had then an anchor. And sorry, in front of the defence, the bottom of your box is an anchor and a deep line playmaker to control the space there. The deep line playmaker, however, is staggered to the anchor. So the anchor will sit closer to the back line, and the deep line playmaker makes a diagonal kind of you know, line with it because he's in the kind of that central midfielder space. But with Dunga, instead of having two wingbacks who controlled the wings in a flying sense, as the 1982 interpretation of Brazil, what, what he did was he set up with a more defensive-minded wingback on one side. And what happened would be, where the more attacking wingback was, the anchor would set up on that side. In Brazil's case with Dunga, the right wingback of Maicon was more attacking. So the anchor set up on the right side of that defensive midfield slot. With the deep line playmaker then kind of in a central midfield left slot. The 10, then you'd have the double 10 then in front of the two of them. One is narrow, the other is wide. So Alano and Kaká tend to be the two players who played in those. And then you had one striker and one inside forward. So what happened would be the wherever the wide 10 was, the inside forward was on the opposite side. And the inside forward then could be replaced if you want to play someone like Ramirez, if you want a little bit more industry in that sense. In a European interpretation, this may be a 4-2-3-1. But like we see in Football Manager, we go into our analysis screen, average position with the ball and average position without the ball. In the average position with the ball, this is a 4-2-2-2. And that's where the box looks strongest when you're talking about a possession-based team. So the box is a possession game system. It is a style of play. We see most commonly used teams who like to play with ball possession. And one of the supposed founding tenants of the box midfield in a modern sense, and what we're seeing now at club level especially, is a basis of Juego de Posicion. Now Marty now describes positional play as it's not does not consist of passing the ball horizontally, but something much more difficult. It consists of generating superiorities behind each line of pressure. The only thing that should be maintained at all times is the pursuit of superiority, i.e. free men between the lines. So tying back to what we've seen with Brazil, two deep line playmakers, two defensive midfielders, two attacking midfielders, you know, with no one in that central midfield. And the idea then is, with your box, is that you've, you're occupying space in front of and behind the opposition midfield. That's the general gist. Because, of course, at the time, you know, when we saw the system first come in, it was a 4-2 four, four system. That was very common across the world. So the idea was to play in front of and behind the two central midfielders. But obviously, in a modern sense, it doesn't really work that way. Because 4-4-2 four, four, does not seem to be the way forward. It's we see we're in the era of four three three. There's four two three one beginning to come back in. Even three 
four, three, three, five, two systems beginning to come back in. So how can we create the box? And how can we use the box in a modern sense? Well, Pep Guardiola, one of the key, you know, adopters, key, you know, users of the box. A structured midfield play that plays with a box shape. And the idea is that an inverted wing back will tuck in alongside the defensive midfielder. Central midfielders will go beyond the opposition midfield. So in reality, when he looks at an analysis screen, if we're like in a football manager sense, he should see a 3-2-2-3 shape. And the idea at the back then is you've got one fullback who tucks narrow. So it's at the minute you could say Kyle Walker and Nathan Ake. Absolutely ideal for being the one who, you know, Ake will tuck in, left-sided centre-back, and then Kyle Walker can move into that defensive midfield slot. In a way, I suppose we saw how Joe Cancelo do it. And I suppose we've seen Kyle Walker be used as a centre-back in the tree, so we know he has the ability to slot in there as well, if Guardiola likes to flip the shape. But of course, Guardiola's not the only person doing it. Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel were a little bit more rigid with the box, but yet they used it with their back three systems. And what would happen would be the narrow forwards would tuck in, so say Mount and Werner, or Mount and Zayic, or Zayic and Werner, whoever it was under the Tuchel system, they tucked in and made a narrow box, so that you had your two defensive midfielders, and your two attackers, you had your flying wing-backs, I suppose, you could say Chilwell and James, and then, like that, you had your one your your one free kind of striker in a sense of front whether it was Lukaku or Havertz or whoever but this was again a different interpretation creating a box with a back three which supposes something we haven't really seen in essence before where Guardiola makes the back three Tuchel started with it and this is what we saw here and even with Arsenal you know a disciple of Pep Guardiola Mikel Arteta his interpretation of the box is something very similar and that's because of the signing of Zinchenko. So Zinchenko will push in to midfield in the way we saw um, it happen at Manchester City. The right-sided centre-back, whether it's um, Tommy Yasu or Ben White, they took in. Again, it's a 3-2-2-3 system. And what happens then is your two eights like Xhaka and uh, Odegaard, they will push into space. These players will move forward. And what happens then is they are... Clever enough then that if the opposition commit a man forward, they will target the space that they leave. So if the opposition fullback pushes forward, the eight will then make a diagonal move into those spaces. Now all of these, you know, adopters of the box tend to be seeing it as like this this regular position, this playing the game of the position. You know, trying to outfox and outcalculate the opposition by what makes it look like, I suppose many of us think we see Ben White starting at right back for Arsenal. We don't see Ben White as a right back. But yet he is in this system because what happens is then we see him tuck in. But of course, we've seen White be very effective in the final third as an orthodox fullback. So the, the possibilities of this player being used in that way are still there as a standard fullback. But really what we see most times, what we're common patterns to see, is this player tucking in. Now Arteta and Guardiola use this inverted wing back. Tuchel and Xavi 
are ones who kind of try to create this with wide forwards and attacking midfielders to make a box. But for Xavi, the reason we see a box appearing at Barcelona at the minute is because of the quality of centre midfielders. You've got Busquets, you've got De Jong, you've got Pedri and Gavi. How do you fit all four in? Well, I suppose the most common way we've seen it with Barcelona is Gavi may line up as a left-sided attacking midfielder. But really, what Gavi is, is a central midfielder who's out wide. De Jong will drop down back beside Busquets. Gavi and Pedri are then in front. And because De Jong and Busquets are both comfortable at centre-back, we see a box that can be- that can become so flexible with how it moves and plays with this team. The wings completely open up with a defensive structure that's in place. That, that's, I suppose, a reason why Barcelona have conceded so few in the league. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen's, you know, fantastic performances this season aside. But with De Jong and Busquets, two centre-backs or centre-midfielders comfortable both, the Barcelona box gives great defensive structure here. And then what you're committing is one centre, was one full-back forward, which is now uh, Keita Balde from left wing-back, attacking high like a winger. You've got Dembele on the right wing, again attacking like this wide attacking player. So the whole system then is based on controlling the middle of midfield with four incredibly technical and possession oriented players who can are narrow and then move up behind Lewandowski. And then with depending on where the play is, the attacker on that side, the midfield, because if you're attacking with Keita Balde, you'll see the team kind of orient itself towards kind of the right half space and the right wing for Balde to cross the ball in. And then vice versa. If it's on the right, you'll see kind of Keita Balde can be involved a bit more of it as a goal-scoring threat. And of course, just like we said with Ake, like with Ben White, you've got Jules Koundé tucking in as a an extra centre-back from the right-back position. And I suppose one of the bigger talking points of the box midfield in real life came and it was something that was spoken about Sorry for Man- this Manchester United fans. I know you might not want to be hearing this again. But last weekend's Liverpool-Manchester United game where Jurgen Klopp created a box. And Jamie Carragher pointed this out so well on Sky on Monday night. Ten Hag sets up his team with a man-marking midfield. Because most teams play 4-3-3, each of the three in Ten Hag's midfield are given a man to mark. They follow them. That is their man. And what Liverpool did was they used Cody Gakpo then to become a fourth man in midfield and create a midfield box. Of course, Liverpool's fullbacks like to move forward. You see Robertson moving forward. But in the case of Liverpool's first goal with Cody Gakpo scores, it is the box that is the undoing of Manchester United's midfield. So Dallow moves out to put pressure. Gakpo makes a run. That means Fred is now 1v1. And really what happens then is it's not Fred's fault. But the opportunity then opens up for Robertson, passes the ball through to Gakpo, Gakpo beats his man and scores. And then with the shape of the box in an attacking sense, because Gakpo's coming deep, Salah and Darwin don't narrow. They stay wide and they attack in a diagonal run. And it's not that long ago when the then Manchester United manager, Alex Ferguson, said the most dangerous way a forward can move is in this way where they're coming from wide and attacking in. 
And I suppose in the era of football that we now live in, a right foot are playing on the left and a left foot are playing on the right does not seem unnatural. In fact, it seems the most natural thing that we have happening in football now. And it's something we see in football manager. So when we take the box of football manager, we have a few different considerations we need. Are we going to line up in the Guardiola way? Or are we going to line and in the Arteta way, where it's an inverted wingback or fullback? Or are we going to line up with a system a bit like Gavi coming in from the left side of midfield? Or a Gakpo dropping back from the forward line? Because the thing is, when we have a box midfield and football manager, we are playing a possession style of football to create an overload versus the two or three central midfielders of the opposition. We create the shape for a wide player to exploit, or if a central defender takes steps up to put pressure on the players in your box midfield, you've now created a space in the opposition's defensive line for you to attack. So maybe... When you are playing with a box midfield, stop after 20 minutes, stop after half an hour and check and see the opposition's average shape out of possession. Who is the player creating the shape? Is it a fullback? Is it a centre-back? Is it a wide midfielder? And then you've got your key to unlocking the opposition. Some teams may even line up in a diamond, but with your box, what you've done is you've the numerical superiority again Because where they have one, you have two. So your strength is already there in terms of numbers. So in a 4-3-3, like I said, you can use your inverted wing backs, one or both, to make the step up into midfield to create your box. You can have a half back dropping between your two centre backs and your two wing backs tucking in. You can have one wing back tucking in where the fullback tucks in as a third centre back. Or, you know, you could have a system where your defensive midfielder drops between your two centre backs. Your central midfielders are a little bit deeper. Your wide midfielders, they move inwards and your wing backs push forward. So your box is then created by two deep sitting central midfielders and two inverting wide attack wide midfielders possibilities here are endless the patterns you can create are endless just keep a look at what the opposition what way they're setting up and then just move your players ever so slightly and suddenly you've got a box midfield that creates a numerical superiority at the center and the heart of your midfield but if you're someone who's like that tight about a 4-2-3-1 can you still play with a box of course you can have one attacking midfielder move from the wide area moving in like brazil creating a 4-2-2-2-2 up where the second striker comes wide and you've one attacking midfielder you know like alano you know it could be a wide playmaker there like ramirez an engine up and down that one side you could even have it where your striker drops deeper so have an asymmetric striker attacking midfielder duo where you have could have a false nine and a shadow striker with two sitting midfielders behind again your box is there you've two inside forwards that can drive in to the space created by your dropping false nine linking up with an attacking midfielder who's a trek artista who is a shadow striker whoever it's advanced playmaker whoever it is and two inside forwards or inverted wingers driving inwards what 
you can do with a boxing football manager is up to you and your imagination. But just look at your system and say, what can I create here? And then just keep checking in, keep keeping tabs on that analysis tab and seeing what are the average positions are we making it and is it working? When, I, when you've got your base shape, you've got to think of the roles, of course. So what role is your DM going to take? Is it going to be like Gilberto, the anchor man? The, the, it has to be that first line. But who sits beside him? An inverted wing back, a deep line playmaker. What way is your midfield going to take shape? Is it going to be like that deep line playmaker? Is it going to be a Mazzala who moves into a half space to give your box not just a straight line of two in front of two, but a player in the half space giving a diagonal line? Is it going to be a Carolero or a box to box midfielder who's shuffling up and down in that central space? Is it going to be then at the top? Is it an advanced playmaker, an attacking midfielder, a Trek Ortista, an enganched, whatever it is? A shadow striker, how is the top of your box going to look? What is the interlinking going to be? Is it going to be a Masala who pushes up high? Is it going to be a striker who drops deep? Is it going to be a wide player coming in? But one of my, I suppose, biggest you know, pieces of advice I can give you here is to stagger your box. And really what I mean by that is keep your defensive midfield essentially or have ones that are kind of stepping out into the half space between the defensive midfielders, the centre midfielders, the attacking midfielders, whatever way it is, you layer it. Have players occupying the half spaces. Because what you do then is you create a vertical line, you can create a horizontal line and a diagonal line for your passing options. So you've got players in front for a vertical pass. You've got the horizontal lines to maintain possession. And you've got line-breaking, player-removing diagonals. So all of a sudden, you've, you've really opened the game up here in midfield. You've got combinations that can unlock any situation. Peter Bowes said it himself. The central midfielders should be positioned more to the centre, adapting to the opponent, inner side of the opposition and central midfielder, while the attacking midfielders have to be wider generally, or the outside shoulder of the opposition and central midfielders. Occupying that space between a centre midfielder and a winger. These rules help the central players to avoid blocking each other, offering more passing options, while maintaining the central channel towards the central forward open. So really what you have here is the ability to open up the full centre of the pitch with like that vertical, horizontal and diagonal lines. But what if the opposition is playing through the box? You see that they're playing through a box. What is, what is it you can do? You know, there's three key things you can do if you see the opposition are playing with a box midfield. Maintain width and height and possession. Pass the feet, not the space. And break the lines when possible. So have whether it's through movement or passing, but break the lines. And then rotation to open passing lane to the furthest point of the box. So again, keep it varied keep it structured but have ways of making things happen just before i finish up there's a few little closing remarks i want to make to you before you consider suppose, a bit more or research and read any of the links below which have helped me you know give you as much information as detailed information as i can with the box midfield here Eust van der Leij said, to be blunt, formations do not exist. 
Why would formations exist? Everyone is using the concept of formations in football, so they seem to exist in some way. And in a simple way, they do. They exist as a word, a term used in football and as a concept. But they are abstract. Concepts do not have a physical existence in the way the pitch, goal, posts and ball exist. So with our box midfield, you're not looking to make this, like I said, we've spoken the whole way through. It works regardless of formation. You can create it with any formation. But in terms of a formation, it doesn't really exist. You just have to see it as, how do I attack? How do I transition? How do I defend? What shapes? What way do I set up my lines? So when you're setting up your box midfield, it's your lines in possession. What way are we going to look here? What way are we going to move? Because, as I've said before, formations on a football pitch don't seem to make much sense anymore. In 2019, when Liverpool played RB Salzburg in the Champions League, Jesse Marsh went viral for his speech in the dressing room. He said it himself afterwards that he played with a box midfield. Against the ball, we had a diamond, but with the ball, we had two sixes and two tens. So again, if you looked at that Salzburg team on paper, you have a defence midfielder, two central midfielders, and a point attacking midfielder. That's the out-of-possession shape. And that's the out-of-possession shape we create in football manager. But in possession, it was totally different. One of those central midfielders became an attacking midfielder. And one of those central midfielders became a bit more of a holding midfielder. So how do you create those lines? And is it asymmetric in how you set it up in-game? Is it asymmetric how you set it up in terms of the roles? But like that, staggered box, diagonal, vertical and horizontal lines. And I suppose talking about a box for many it may seem totally going against the grain. That modern era of football was built on the Dutch way of triangles. But really with the box what we have is a very compact formation. With a back four guarded by two defensive midfielders, two midfield maestros ahead, and an offensive duo up front to score the goals. Guido put it so well there. And he says it's all about balancing the roles and the way your players take the field. So the box can tie in with total football. Because if you think is if you put a diagonal line through a box, you've created two triangles. And that's triangular style of football of possession-oriented football that came from the Dutch, that came all the way back through. We talked about football, rotating triangles, it's still there. So if that's what you want to play, you can still make a box midfield. It's just two triangles stacked one beside the other. It's Again, like I said, it's creating within the confines of the match engine. Football manager is a lot more structured than football in real life. We have so much... We, we are working with so many confines and restrictions... But we can still get creative. And if we can get creative and manipulate space in a way that's different, in a way that you know doesn't seem as, you know, you know, slot together and click together in a way that the match engine might seem to be and the tactics creator might seem to be, all of a sudden the game can open up for us. New possibilities and you know, pushing, you know, that very rigid structure, that very rigid tactical building element. We can push that really to the limits of what this match engine can do. 
you know, just before I say goodbye, something I've been promising all along has been to do a giveaway. And that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. And I'm going to tie it in with the campaign, with the t-shirt campaign. So, the end of next week, next Friday, 17th of um, no, I'll actually extend it. I'll go for two weeks. So, closing date will be the 23rd, and the draw will be done on Thursday, the 23rd of uh, March. I will be picking one winner to win a t shirt from the campaign of their choice. Okay, I have one of your choice to give away your size, whatever it is you want. All you need to do is, of course, you make sure you follow the Technical Area on Twitter. The link is down below if you don't. And to leave a review on the podcast. Okay. So if you follow the podcast, screenshot your reply. Sorry, screenshot your review and send it in to the Technical Area on Twitter. You can use it as a reply on the competition post on the Twitter page. Or you can send it in through DM or email, whatever way works for you. One entry per person. Leave a review, send it in, follow the pod. And like that Thursday the 23rd, I will announce the winner of a t-shirt of your size and desire, whichever one it is. So if you want to wear the Libero t-shirt, the White Center Wack, the Roman Playmaker, or the Trek Artista, the choice is yours. So get involved in the competition. Uh, leave your view but like that try the box midfield so I'll leave you there thanks very much for listening and we will talk again very soon keep an eye on the, the pod as well we'll have a little question going out for the poll for next week's pod but until then I've been Gaffer Graymo take care stay safe and I'll talk to you again soon bye now <laughs>